This podcast is brought to you by the Toronto School of Management's NCA exam prep program. The TSM NCA prep program offers internationally trained lawyers courses taught by practicing lawyers in Canada, expertly designed study guides, exclusive networking opportunities with top Canadian law firms, and employability sessions arming you with all the tools you need in order to hit the ground running in your pursuit to practicing law in Canada. To find out more about the program, you can email ncaprep at torontosom.ca. To a shot of life, a podcast aimed at highlighting the personal journeys of professionals and entrepreneurs in Canada, taking a snapshot of the person behind the professional title. I'm your host, Anton Haswell, and this is episode 19 of the NCA series. My 19th guest is Deborah Wolf. Deborah is the executive director of the National Committee on Accreditation and Law Schools Programs with the Federation of Law Societies of Canada. The NCA assesses the qualifications of individuals with legal education and professional experience obtained outside of Canada or in a Canadian civil law program who wish to be admitted to a common law bar in Canada. Ms. Wolf also leads the process to approve Canadian common law law school programs. Hi, Deborah. Hi, Anton. How are you doing? Great. Yeah. Um, part two of our, <laughs> of our, you know, we, I, we had spoken about um, hopefully having sort of semi-regular conversations as things are updated and changed within the NCA or the legal landscape in Canada. And, and here we are. So I really appreciate you taking some time. Yeah, and I appreciate you agreeing to to have me back. I think that we're at a point now where there's some really good questions out there. There's some really good um, uh, you know, we've had some updates uh, from our side, so it's nice to be able to ha- take the time to discuss them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I suppose we should just sort of jump right in. I, I think um, the elephant in the room is the change to the NCA exam schedule. So when we were speaking last time in October, you had hinted that there was going to have to be some kind of change to the way that the exams are administered simply because the volume of exam takers were, were, you know, in some ways overloading servers and systems or, you know, it was just too logistically difficult to host that many people at um, one time kind of thing. So you hinted maybe sprinkle exams over 10 months a year. And um, it was a big event when the exam schedule was released. Uh, it was shared all over Facebook and social media. And I'm just curious, um, sort of from your end, what went into um, changing the exam? What what goes into something like that? Well, you know, there's, this is a, a multi-factored process to decide how we were going to schedule exams in January. And, uh, or sorry, in 2021. And, and I did the scheduling. So... Um, I took into consideration our vendors, so Monitor EDU and Paradigm, the, from the proctoring side and from the servers and database side, you know, what can they handle? Um, we determined based on August, September, October exam sessions, we can't have more than 350 people writing in a day. And that just immediately led us to saying, 
we cannot go back to having the same schedule that we had in 2019. You know, one week in January, one week in May, one week in August, one week in October. So if we're throwing that out, why are we even clumping the exams together? Mm -hmm. It causes um, a, a lot of clumped work for my team and for the students. And I know that some people will say, hey, you know, it's just like an exam period at the end of, um, of a semester. But likely you are working a full-time job while you're writing working while you're writing the NCA exams and so um, and we were also then looking at um, do we provide more opportunity for people to write the exams I know that we're only offering the four can the five Canadian subjects four times but they're they're over a week four times um, in one week um, we also had to look at the workload within our office do we have our annual conference going on do we have other obligations? that maybe our, our IT department is, um, is looking at. We also looked at what's going on in our um, law societies and in um, statutory holidays and perhaps religious holidays. Uh, so there were all sorts of things that we had to look at. Um, both the Law Society of Ontario and the, the NCA use Monitor EDU and Paradigm, and then the Law Society of British Columbia uses Monitor EDU. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to make sure that we didn't impact the barrister exam or the paralegal exam and that they didn't impact our exams. And that's what happened. One of the things that happened last August right. is our exams were on top of each other. And we didn't realize that we were just going simply with the same old schedule that we had that had been put up um, you know, uh, over a year before. So those are some of the factors that went into it. So we've increased the number of sittings for contracts and torts to, from two to three. Property will also increase, but in 2022, because in 2021, uh, sorry, in 2020, we ran property four times, um, July, August, September, and October. So um, we also needed to think about the workload workload on our examiners, their professors in Canadian law schools, um, and, you know, how often can they do this? They're committing to it. Uh, They're they're compensated, obviously, but they also have to balance out everything else that's going on in their lives. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. It's, I kind of picture you um, as you're working this schedule out in front of a huge whiteboard, trying to take take into account every single thing. So, it, I mean, it's by no means easy to do something like that. Do you think the change to more, like, I guess I keep saying more frequent, and I suppose some exams are offered more frequent, but in, in this 12 month a year kind of in every month there's an opportunity for somebody to take some kind of exam that hasn't happened before do you think that the move to online while it's difficult and there are logistical issues do you think that's helped in like you said instead of clumping things together now we can spread things out a little bit more and does that make it easier on your team yeah it does um i mean we couldn't do well we i mean obviously we could do we could do whatever we wanted if we were pen and paper in 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 rooms um still mm-hmm. but um this we're aware also it's it's just been a huge workload i i have to tell you that my team is i don't know of anybody who's doing the exam side who's had a day off more than a day or two off in the last six months wow. um you know and it and it's been saturdays and sundays and evenings and you know and it should be because we're we're providing a service and we committed to you know, we're, I know I, I'm realizing that some of the other professions canceled their exams, canceled their OSCEs in some cases at the very last minute. We just, after we canceled May, we just said to each other, we can't do this again. Mm-hmm. We cannot stop. We cannot just stop this process. And I know that people are slowed down because of May and because of the issues that we had in August, but we couldn't stop it. And so, but the, but, but spreading it out throughout the year, um, 
will just be a different way for us to approach it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's also going to be a little bit easier. Uh, we've got some examiners who may do more than one subject. And so if we have those spread out a little bit, um, that'll be a little bit easier on them. Um, and I also wanted to look at it and say, okay, well, when could our exam manager take a couple of weeks off? Okay, well, you know, this there's a, there's a period here that's a little bit lighter. You know, she could do it then. And so that wasn't a top priority, but it wasn't also ignored. Right, right. So I'm wondering now, I guess the logical question you mentioned that I think this property will be offered more times in 2022. Um, is it safe to assume that the exam schedule will, will look like this moving forward for the foreseeable future, not just um, 2021, but in the future as well? Yes, um, I, I'm, I'm more of a spreadsheet person than a whiteboard person. And I had, right. I, think, you know, I, I think that this was maybe version six. Mm. Um, and I had started with some different ones where uh, and I don't really want to go into the details of, of the things that were thrown away, but we really had to take into consideration um, from the technical side what the proctors and what the the, the servers and database could handle mm-hmm. that's actually hosting the exams. Um, do I think the schedule is going to look like this in 2022? I think the schedule is going to be a 12-month schedule. Mm-hmm. It's going to offer multiple times to write exams. It's going to not have a single day for constitutional law in one month and then a single day in you know three months later. Um, so so yes, we were going to continue with the multiple days of the of the of the big exams. Um, will it look exactly the same? I don't know. I want to get through a few months. Yeah. In 2021, but I, I and so I I don't know that there have been people saying I want this changed or I want that changed. And I think that once we're into 2021, like let's say we're if we were to put ourselves right now on March 2021 and files are being assessed regularly, people are in the schedule, I think people are going to say, hey, you know what? The schedule makes sense. I think sitting here, there are some um, uh, downsides to it. Right. And, I, and, and I recognize that, but I also want consistency. I want people to look at the schedule and they're not going to be able to say, oh, you know what? She changed it and we're going to, she's going to change it again. And I, I, I really want to make sure that we are being consistent. So this is what the schedule looks like for 2021. And what my goal is, is to have a 2022 schedule up by mid-year. Right. Okay. So we'll take the learnings of the first quarter and, um, and have discussions with various people. If people want to, and the students and well, as well, I'd like to hear their feedback. Um, and then we'll do the schedule for 2022 early so that people can have that certainty of what they're going to look at. Right. Great. Um, so, I mean, I, I actually was just thinking of something as you were talking, I mean, it, it, schedule aside, almost um, the format or, and how we, how you're now administering the exams online before it was international test centers all over the world. Um, now with technology be, being what it is and allowing you to do this with, again, albeit some logistical errors. And we, we spoke last time when, when I, when I interviewed you the, for the first time about how some people actually prefer the in-person exams. <laughs> they prefer writing um, pen in hand rather than typing things out and how you had considered that when you allowed for an extra hour um, in the exam taking. So I'm wondering, do you envision, again, this is just sort of us spitballing <laughs> or looking at a crystal ball, but is there ever gonna be a time you think where there's a hybrid model, where there's some in, in-person in testing and some online, or as technology is perfected, this is just kind of the way the world is now and online will exist 
um, forever. There's, there's, I think there's two parts of that, Anton. Um, one is, will there ever be in-person exams? And the other is, will there ever be handwritten exams? Right. Interesting. And, mm-hmm. and let's deal with the latter. No, we're not going to go back to handwritten exams. Mm-hmm. And I know that for some people that is going to be very disappointing. Um, but we also are reflective of the practice of law in Canada in the 2020s. And one of the one of the commitments or one of the requirements for lawyers in Canada is that they be technologically competent. And just one of the very basic parts of that is you have to be able to work your computer. Um, you know, it's not, we're not saying that you have to be able to code, no, but you have to be able to respond to emails. You have to be able to, um, uh, you know, write a, write a brief, um, the days of having dictation and somebody writing that out for you are gone, um, in Canada is is my understanding. And, and so we're not going to go back to handwritten exams. Um, will we go to a point where, um, people bring their laptops and they sit in a room and they're, and they're proctored in person as opposed to proctored on their camera? Maybe, but I don't really see a need to do that. I do know that we've got people, you know, if we wanted to dive really deeply into the problems that people Mm. are facing in the, in the exams, you know, there were, there were myriad problems in August um, and then fewer in September and fewer again in October. Um, And what we're, what we saw is that there's no question that in August there were database issues, there were server issues and there were proctor issues. Mm. But as we, but, but there were also issues with students, hardware, software, and internet. Yeah. And as we, as we go forward, those are going to persist. And so that's where it becomes really important for the student who's writing to go onto the website to do the tests that are on there. Um, we're working on having one sample question so people can actually log in and see how the system works. We don't have that up yet. We're hoping to get it up by the end of 2020 so that people have an opportunity to practice that um, before the first exams in January. Mm. Um, and, and so so we're aware of the fact that, you know, depending where you are, whether that's a Iqaluit or maybe, you know, someplace in the Punjab, your IT may be, your, your broadband may be a little bit less um, robust than it might be in, I, I was going to say downtown Toronto, but sometimes, you know, for yeah. those of us who live in, inner, like I live in, in an inner city as well. And sometimes my internet is great and sometimes my internet's really bad. Mm. So sometimes when you've got the high usage, it's not good. Um, but we also have people saying, you know what? I don't have good internet at home. I've got toddlers and grandparents living with me. Is it okay if I rent a hotel room and write the exam in a hotel room? And we're like, yes, mm. absolutely. Or can I go to the library and, and book a, um, you know, one of those private offices at the library and write it there? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the types of, of, of creative solutions that people are coming up with. Um, as they write their exams. And, you know, the other thing I love about the exams is um, people not having to drive from, you know, where I grew up on on Lake Huron, three and a half hours from Toronto, um, down to Toronto to to write in a convention center, or somebody yeah. having to fly from um, Nairobi to um, London, England. You know, like if we if we can avoid that, think about mm. the the benefit to the planet. Absolutely, and and you know the the planet and the, the mental health of the exam taker. You know, like you said, with travel, there's a lot of things to sort out. Um, so yeah, no, I I agree. I I can't think of a reason why you know this kind of tech shouldn't be used in the administering of exams and so it's and for the most part the feedback that i've received has been positive about that the people love the idea that they have they can take some control as to where and how they write these exams there are like you said there are some people who raise issues with 
you know, if the internet conks out for five to 10 minutes, one, one woman I spoke with, um, who I haven't released the podcast, she mentioned that happened, but then she was sort of given an extra five minutes by the proctor or something. So it was sort of, you know, yeah. we've, we've had, um, uh, lengthy discussions. We have a weekly meeting with the, with the vendors, um, and our team. And, um, and I also have, um, a monthly or every six week meetings with Law Society of Ontario and the Law Society of BC, mm-hmm. where we talk about, um, you know, things that are going on and how can we improve and, you know, what do we need to do and what, what good idea is happening in, in BC that we can adopt here and vice versa. Um, and, and, you know, things like, uh, what happens when somebody's internet goes out and how do we compensate that and what is the process to compensate it? Mm. We're also aware, and I don't know if people are listening who are living in Nigeria, but we're aware of the horrible things that are going on in Nigeria and, uh, you know, violence in the streets. And so, you know, we want to be sympathetic about those types of situations too and flexible. Um, and there, But there's only so much that we can do. And so, you know, there's there's a balancing of the customer service of 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 providing flexibility to in, individuals with ensuring that the standards are met, mm. and that's the really difficult road that we have to travel. Um, you know, and 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 we do want to be flexible, but we also have to um, protect the process. Sure, of course. Well, I, I think this conversation here has, I hope, led to a lot more clarity regarding the exam schedule. I actually, when I looked at it. It, it it's it makes you know in some ways like you just kind of get a feeling this makes sense you know why why not offer the exams if you can 12 months a year so uh, hopefully everybody feels the same way and and those who don't like we just spoke about who may sitting right now think this is confusing i don't know why they would have done this maybe in march when we have our third conversation deborah mm-hmm. more people are sort of understanding of the schedule and saying oh yes that makes sense um, uh, just yeah. and so on one more thing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the in the old system, people would register for five exams, mm-hmm. and then they'd cancel two before the, the week before. Right. And and uh, we had a cancellation rate of thirty percent. Hmm. And so that's money wasted for that for the student because they you know they they lose a little bit of money when they when they cancel or they no show and then they lose all of their money. Mm-hmm. And so um, you know that that aspect was also in the back of my mind is I'd like to see after we get through a couple of months what is the cancellation rate, right? As we go forward, I had a couple of questions from some of the listeners. Uh, of the podcast who are um, excited to be able to have their questions answered by you. Um, so there's been a few posts recently on Facebook with some confusion around the submission of transcripts. And I was wondering, I think it would be a really good opportunity for you to just really clarify um, what transcripts need to be sent to the NCA and how they need to be sent to the NCA and maybe a little bit of why. So let's start with the why. Um, Every credentialing agency, whether that's the NCA or World Education Services in Toronto or the University of British Columbia, we all have to make sure that um, the documents that we accept and review are valid, are official. They're not fraudulent. They haven't been altered or tampered with. Mm -hmm. And the way that we deal with this is we will only accept any document related to an applicant's legal credentials, so law degree, whether it's an LLB, JD, LLM, um, their bar documents, their bar exam results, their call certificate, their um, certificate in good standing with a, with a regulatory body, all of that needs to come directly from the issuing institution. Mm-hmm. That means that your hands as a student 
your hands, your family's hands, your friend's hands can't have ever touched the document. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how will we accept them? In the old days, 10 years ago, everything was mailed into us, courier or mailed into us from the issuing institution. Right. Today, um, 10 years ago, because uh, so, I took over in, in uh, uh, July 1st, 2009. So now we're 11 years from then, mm-hmm. 11 and a half. We are accepting ele- um, secure electronic document transfer processes. And the list of those are on our website. We accept couriers. We accept regular mail. In the, in the terms of um, people's call, we will ourselves, if the student, if the, if the applicant asks us to, they'll say, I'm registered as a P1 with the Law Society of Ontario. Can you pull that off the website? And, and we say, yeah, of course. Mm. Um, or, and so that will work for the state boards or law societies or um, you know, what, whatever the appropriate terminology is in the jurisdiction. If there is um, a publicly available directory on the website of the organization, we'll do that. Right. Uh, and so that could save some people some money, um, but it also can be done quicker. Uh, and so that's how we're accepting it. We will not accept hand-delivered. I mean, we don't accept hand-delivered anything. Pan- our pandemic rules are no one can come into our office. Mm-hmm. Um, we will not accept something that you picked up at the university and dropped in a mailbox. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we will not accept a PDF that's emailed to us, whether it's password protected or not, we just cannot do it. There's too much uh, risk in um, fraudulent documents, forgeries and tampering. Mm. So uh, when that's when it comes to legal. For the pre-law transcripts, uh, we'll accept your, offic- your original copies that you can mail into us. Um, they don't have to be in a sealed envelope, but they have to be, I mean, we, we know what they look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have to have all the appropriate stamps on them. Um, but it, often it's just easier for people to, to go on their undergrad university website and request the documents be sent to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and do candidates' file numbers also need to be included on the transcript or on the envelope when they send something to you? Or is their full you know, sort of legal name enough for you to be able to say, okay, this transcript is for this candidate? Yeah, legal, like most transcripts include legal name and date of birth. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can imagine that there's some names in our database where we have a couple of hundred yeah. of the same names. Yeah. Um, in fact, I had three files on my desk yesterday or two days ago. We're going, are, is this the same person? We can't tell. Right. Um, and and so, uh, and then we've got a few twins as well. So that can, that creates problems too. Yeah. And then when you've got people who change their name um, for whatever reason, you know, they maybe adopt a different name throughout their life. And so they don't have to have their NCA name number on it. No. And if, and if it, a document has been sent to us, we keep it, we never get rid of it. Yeah. So somebody might've immigrated to Canada eight years ago. They had their documents sent in before they left where, you know, their home country, they got to Canada. They said, okay, I can't do the NCAs right now, but uh, you know, five eight years ago, but now they're ready. We'll still have that document if mm-hmm. if it was sent to us. Mm-hmm. Now it might be off site, but if it was sent to us, we have it. Right. Interesting. Well, I think that that clears that up. I think I hope um, I hope that answer helps people who were asking on Facebook and and asking me personally. Um, now, actually, I think I just noticed just prior to our chat here on a Friday. Um, the 27th of November, that the August exam results have been released. Um, and this was, um, you know, a bit of a, 
you know, people were really waiting in anticipation for the exam results to be released. And there were a lot of questions about why would it take so long? So I was wondering if you could maybe get into, um, like, I know we've spoken about the fact that you, you know, you've contracted some university professors who will grade the exams, but sort of all of the logistical mishmash that happened in August and September, um, why did that lead or how did, how did that lead to August exam results being released so late? Yeah, um, the, and, and the August results aren't all released yet. We, okay. from, from the beginning, I said, we're no longer going to do this the way that we used to do it. I mean, it, this has been a great, what is it, hashtag pandemic perks. Yeah. You know, it's been a great opportunity to say, you know, why did we do it like this? Mm. Do we, and if we, di- if we had good reasons to do it in a certain way in the past, do those good reasons still apply? Mm. So here's one of the areas where there's no good reason to continue to wait until we have absolutely all of the exam results before we release any exam results. Mm. So starting on uh, November 19th, we released civil procedure, commercial evidence, family and remedies. And on our website and our advisories, there is a, an advisory called 2020 exam results. And that is being updated um, as we release exam results right now, it's just August, um, September, some of them are close to being released, um, but uh, we don't, do not yet have all of the August exam results released. And I'll, and I'll talk a little bit about why. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there, it's no secret that August was a challenging exam session. And we realized during the session, in fact, people were saying, why did you release an email at midnight saying that um, there's going to be delays the next day? Um, it's because we were working until midnight, looking at what, we're, what was going on uh, every day during the exam sessions and realizing that um, having a thousand people write, an exa- write, write exams in one day was just too much of a load. And so we, what we said is we immediately decided, you know what, we're going to have uh, a makeup exam session in September. And um, if you wanted to hold off until September, go ahead. If you don't want to hold off to September, you want to write in August, um, please be aware that you may have to wait a couple of hours for a proctor and for the system to um, to welcome you in. And I think that was the right thing to do. It was very difficult on our part. Now, you know, I talked earlier about that we believe that we couldn't not hold an August exam session. And it was lightning speed to implement an online exam process. Um, and I'm pleased with how we did that, but it was not without uh, challenges. And normally these types of systems take a couple of years, maybe even more uh, to bring into place, particularly as we're transitioning both, you know, your internal databases from your vendor and then your students adapting to the new environment. We, we had no opportunity to provide a transition for our students, nor for us, nor for our in, internal databases. And, and I, everyone who's an applicant to the NCA knows that you've got your candidate portal. Well, well, we didn't have an opportunity to be able to update the candidate portal to hold multiple exam sessions. Um, we're now working on that for January. Um, we were only capable of doing so many changes at one time. And we ended up having to, instead of being able to do automatic transitioning, um, using a database and pushing a button and all of the you know, steps happen, we ended up doing it manually with spreadsheets mm. and lists and emails and emails were sent to this address or that address, or they were sent to three different addresses, or they were sent to three addresses at the same time. And I have to tell you, it was really, really difficult. Mm. And we, we opted as of August ended to focus on getting September up and running. That means new exams. That meant finding the days, 
that meant trying to figure out who gets to write in September, who wants to write into September, who's, who is allowed to write in September. Um, and so we focused on that um, rather than focusing on getting the exams out to the examiners right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we are in an environment where we're saying to our examiners, get ready. You're going to be getting um, the exams. And then we were able to, once September was going, we were able to step back and say, okay, good. We're now, now we can go and we know what's being written. We think we know what's being written in September. We think we know what was written in August. We can start getting the exams marked. So at that point, we had the examiner start start, start to marking August. Now, remember, um, these are people who are professors at law schools who have families who are starting to teach their fall semester online. Mm. Um, and they probably taught their the last of the spring semester online, but it was as a you know pandemic emergency. Um, they have always marked on paper. And all of a sudden we're saying, here's your login. Here's your 150 papers that you have to mark online. And for some people, they were like, I love this system. It is fantastic. And for others, like, oh, I don't really quite, fig- I, I don't understand how this works. Mm. And so, so it's been, it's been a challenge for them. And, and, and then we look at the enormous number of exams. We didn't have a May session. And so we had everybody from May move forward to August, plus more files were assessed. So there were extra people going into August. Plus, I think some people chose to write more exams in August than they would normally have written. And so we had an enormous number of exams. And so it was really um, a huge task for us and for our examiners and for our vendors to prepare all of that. So where are we now? We have two, four, six, eight, 10, 11 exam sets of exam results released. Um, there are a couple more in the hopper and there are a few more that um, the professors are still finishing the marking. Um, the feedback memo that you get if you fail an exam is in process, but we're prioritizing getting the marks out there. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also putting in a new process for people to review their exams. Never will you again go and sit in the room to look at your exam. You are now going to do it from home. Mm. Um, and so that I think is going to be more convenient for people as well, because they can do it on their own timeline without having to, to you know, I have to show up in Calgary at the Lost Society of Alberta on this day between nine and 11. Right. You, know, you, don't, you don't have to do that anymore. Um, and as the as the exams are are marked and sent to us, we are then giving the examiners the next the next exam session. So September is being marked now by some of the examiners, and then as they finish that, they are being given October. Right. So it's going to be so so yes, August is late. It will be between I think the thirteen to sixteen weeks likely. Mm-hmm. Um, September will likely be twelve weeks. October will um, the workload has been enormous mm. um, and and October I, I suspect will probably be at that 12 weeks as well I hope not um, and it will also depend how many exams are written mm. you know so so let's say um, in criminal there were probably 800 exams written but then um, uh, let's pick a different one remedies it might have been 20. Right. And so it's far easier for us to release remedies than it is for us to re- re- release criminal uh, because with the, the examiners need the time to mark. What do I think is going to happen in 2021? So a few things. Um, first off, I hire the examiners on contract um, and they, they, they commit to um, preparing syllabi, um, preparing examinations. We have to have a unique exam for every session, marking those exams and hearing exam appeals. 
and, and, and we work with the examiners on this. And I've got a great group of people. I decided before the pandemic hit to increase the number of examiners from one to two for eat for contracts towards from property and from three to four for, for the five Canadian subjects. Mm-hmm. The hiring process of 10 new examiners was not a trivial exercise. And it was, ta- it was carried out during the lockdown right. of the pandemic. Right. And so that was also a difficult process that was going on at the same time as all of these other pieces. Um, I was able to bring a couple of those people on early for October, but the remainder are starting for January. What do I think this means? I think this means that in January and going forward, we are not going to be at a 10 to 12 week turnaround. We're going to be probably, I I mean, I I think I can commit to 10, but I don't want to commit to shorter until Mm. after we've had a couple of of sessions. But I am hoping for, um, I'm hoping for less. Yeah. Well, and that's good news. I think, uh, I think the explanation makes sense for the delays. I mean, like, I, I think something resonated, what you said was, you know, all, all these, all these examiners and, and your staff and everything, they're all people, right. And, and things happen and the pandemic exists for, for them as well. And, and like you said, if the examiners are professors of Canadian law schools here in Canada, everything's being done online. So, you know, professors, some, you know, who have been teaching, I would imagine for quite some time, this is all new. <laughs> so it makes yeah. sense that it, there's, there's an, ad- an adjustment period. And it sounds like um, getting through August, September, October exams and getting them out as quickly as you can, it's sort of uh, the last of what you would anticipate to be some delays and hopefully moving forward into the next year, um, things get a little bit more streamlined as well, you know, with, with adding 10, 10 new examiners. Yes, and, um, and automating different pieces of it. Like mm-hmm. right now we're building these spreadsheets by hand. Right. And so we're, I'm working with the, our, our database developers. So on the, on this, on the, um, the NCA database, not the vendor database, mm-hmm. um, on the NCA database. Um, in fact, I had a call with him this morning on how can we make this easier for the students? How can we make this easier for the NCA? So for example, for those of you who wrote exams in September and October, you had to, you had a second step where you had to go elsewhere to say, I want to write at this time. And then you got your time by email. Right. So, so what a cumbersome process and not everybody got their email. And then, you know, they, they get, it's the day before and they're saying, I, I don't know what time I'm going to write. And so some people assumed, oh, I'm just writing at 9am and they show up at 9am. That's not their time. Right. Um, uh, so we're, we're now um, people who are registering for January will have seen that they chose a time frame, their preferred time frame. And four-hour chunks. So, uh, oh, and I wanted to mention too that we will continue with four-hour exams for 2021. Okay. Um, and then we'll reconsider for how things are going to go for tw- for 2022. These are actually supposed to be three-hour exams, but right. the, the the four hours was a transition decision, um, recognition that there are challenges, technical challenges. Um, people may have typing challenges, um, so those four-hour exams will continue for 2021. Okay. So to go back to what I was saying. Um, Yes, people are going in and they're che- and they're checking uh, and 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 the, the the registration is Eastern time. So, um, you know, you you say I would prefer to write my exam between midnight and four a.m. Eastern, which of course in Hong Kong is something different, which in India is something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and and 
I always I know it's a challenge for people sometimes to say, okay, well, what's that mean in in, in my time zone? Um, you know, hopefully people are using the online services for that to see what the timeline is, what the time zone is. I especially find Saskatchewan. I never know what time they are. Um, <laughs> right. I don't know about you, Anton, but they don't follow daylight savings. So I'm like, uh, are they with Manitoba or were they with Alberta? Right. Um, but those are challenges, of course. And um, so now they they picked their their preferred time frame. And we're then we are then going to schedule. And I'm hoping by the time January comes along, we are going to be able to um, issue a new version of our database. It'll look exactly the same, except it will have your time slot. Mm. If not, we'll go back to um, emailing everybody their time slot for January. But these are the types of changes that we're bringing in over over time. Right. And, and we would have done this had we had we done a proper implementation of an online exam system. This all would have been done in the two year preparation. Right. Uh, to implement them of course yeah you're sort of you're you're sprinting before you even crawled in some ways in yeah. in this uh, you know yeah that makes sense um actually a, a, just another quick one i don't know it's probably too early to tell um maybe this time next year you might have an opportunity to look back and assess but i'm wondering you're bringing on more examiners have you noticed um, an increase in exam takers, or is it too early to tell? I just think because it's online and there's some convenience attached to that, as well as with the pandemic, people are inside more than they were before. May, they may have more of an opportunity. I was just curious if if you've experienced more exam takers. I, I think that we would need to wait until the end of the year to actually have the numbers shake out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know how many um, how many exams we paid for uh, to monitor EDU and Paradigm, um, and, it, and the numbers were large. But there also was no May exam session. Yeah, yeah. So it may be that 2020 ends up looking pretty similar. But we also have had a couple of years of, of dramatic increases in the number of applicants. Mm. Oh, Anton, I wanted to mention one other thing. Yeah. Um, I know that people, it's taking a long time for us to respond to emails in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, I hired three people over the last two weeks. Um, one person is in the office uh, helping us with the mail and the transcripts because it is also it was also a situation where um, we opened up the office and we had four months worth of, of backlog of mail right. and it took us I, I mean my staff was just working overtime extra extra hours you know all day all evening uh, to get through that that backlog um, so we brought one more clerk into the office to help with that so that we can get the files put together quicker. And um, I hired two people um, to help with the emails because right. what's happening is the folks that everybody is used to dealing with are, they have their workload and then they respond to emails. Well, they're not able to do their work because they're responding to emails, but the emails mm. are saying, why aren't you doing your work? Well, we aren't doing your work because you're answering <laughs> emails. And so it was this vicious circle. Um, right. And so now what we've done is we brought two people in um, specifically to answer emails. And so our goal is to get the email work, the emails back down to, I mean, ideally answered within two to three days. We're two weeks at this point. Um, and to get the folks who should be doing the work, you know, issuing the CQs or um, answering people about their file review, um, get those things done um, on a quicker basis. Mm, yeah, well, that makes sense. That was one of the questions I had for you yeah, it's, is on an, on the admin side. Yeah, we've spoken about the the examiners and you know and a hiring increase there but i would i could only imagine the the amount of workload that exists within your your team so it's good it sounds like um growing slightly but hopefully that helps streamline a lot more processes and make things you know easier and more manageable for everybody and obviously at the the end result being people get 
their emails responded to in a in a more timely manner. So that's right. And some yeah. and some of the things take longer because we are in a pandemic. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I've got I've got um, typically four or five people working in the office on a daily basis, and then I've got another six or seven people working at home. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if somebody is dealing with a request for a CQ, but it's not clear that they've finished all of their subjects, somebody else needs to pull the file, scan the documents, um, you know, send it out to the person who's doing the CQ work. And, and so that type of thing slows us down rather than someone walk, you know, 10 steps from their desk and pull a file out of a, a cabinet. Of course. Um, yeah. And, 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 you know, it'll be interesting to see. I don't expect we'll have people back in the office. Like I don't expect we'll have a full team back in the office for what, 12 months, 14 months. Yeah. Um, even then, I don't know. No, it's, it's, I mean, we hear things about the vaccine, but then, you know, I was watching the news this morning saying 3 million Canadians may get a vaccine by March break, but you know, there's 38 million here. And, now with everything moving online, people, some may feel more comfortable. You may develop processes that make sense for some people to work remotely. And it's not just an NCA team problem. It's sort of like a, a worldwide business problem to, to rethink, you know, because sometimes I go for a walk. I live downtown in Toronto and sometimes I go for walks and look at all the, the towers, you know, the BMO Tower and the TD Tower. And I wonder um, how many people will be um, in those offices once everything's back to normal. Yeah, and I live in downtown Ottawa, so um, you know the 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 uh, the traffic down here. I mean, it's picking up this fall. Right. But you know, when I go when I went for a run in um, in May, it was like, oh, I don't even look before I cross the street. It's, yeah. There's nobody down here. But then on the other hand, um, I, I come into the office a few days a week, and I was looking out, um, and we're we're a fairly high floor, so I can I can see into the office buildings around me. I saw one person in the entire building next door. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And that's, anyway, it'll be interesting to see where that goes and how, how things change and whether there's a migration to, to different ways of working. I'm sure that's already happening. And I just wonder how permanent that will be. Um, well, and, and we're, yeah. we're, we will have a policy that if you are sick at all, yeah. you are not in the office. That's right. Don't fight through it. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. The old, the old mentality of um, bite your lip and, and get in here is, is over. Gone. Yeah. yeah, that's gone. Uh, Deborah, I, I had a couple of questions from people who were saying now, you know, it's sort of a lead or a, a stem off of what we were talking about with with delays. Some people are thinking about now registering for um, bar exams and they're concerned that I know that actually <laughs> just digress or, or edit my question. I know that CPLED had a registration deadline um, and they pushed their deadline to, I wonder if that was, did you have a, have a word with uh, Dr. Mitchell Moore about um, pushing those deadlines? Like, I guess what I'm asking is, do you, you mentioned earlier that you speak with the LSO and, you know, the, the BC bar and the various bars in Canada. Um, how closely do you work with them in making sure that people are able to register for their um, licensing exams on time, or at least as best as possible on time? Yeah, so so um, my team talked to Kara's team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not necessarily say here's our problem, you need to solve it, but more about you know what is your flexibility? Is there some ability to um, you know to make these changes? And so yes, we're speaking with them all the time. Um, so you know, I, I I might you know Kara and I that's that's our relationship, and but then I've got all sorts of folks, the deputy director and other people who are dealing with different different members of her team. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that the bar exams in June are coming up, and people are worried about that. But I also want to point out to people. You don't need to write the barrister and solicitor exam before you start articling. True. Right? So some people are, are worried about that deadline. And, and, and to go further, 
Ontario has not released their deadlines for anything beyond March. Yeah. So we don't even know about what their deadlines would be. People could make an assumption, oh, well, there's going to be June exams and the deadline is going to be this, but they don't, they have not yet set those those up yet. Right. Um, and so uh, our, your question is, do we talk to them? Yes, we talk to them all the time. And um, because we need to know who to prioritize when the CQs are being issued, okay, which is the next deadline that we need to prioritize? Is it Saskatchewan? Is it Newfoundland? Is it Ontario? Um, because remember, we're dealing with 12 law societies. Yeah. And so um, we, we're we also looking at our, our results and the CPLED deadline of December, they moved their deadline to December. Yeah, I, 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 sorry, I want to say the, the date and get it wrong. Um, but we're also talking to them about, you know, what other flexibility is there? Because there's going to be some people who get their results um, maybe just that same week. Right. And And so we're already starting that conversation with them. Mm. Well, that's good. I th- and I, I sort of assumed, but then there's there are some who who think you know maybe everybody isn't talking to each other, and um, you know, the NCA may be ignorant to the to the or or not even considering the deadlines that exist in like you were saying Saskatchewan or or in um, in BC, but that you know that is not the case, right? That there, that there is communication and and there's working with not only communication but attempting to work with the bar associations as as best you can in trying to make it um manageable for the candidates who want to pursue those licensing exams right working with the law societies yeah and i know that yeah, there's some, sorry. Been, yeah. yeah there's been some people who have been very critical of us saying um you know that we're unfeeling or whatever the word terminology might be hmm. um uh which re- leads me to another subject and maybe we could talk about this anton sure, but sure. um but we do we do look at it but we have 12 law societies that we serve. Um, and so um, our deadlines aren't always going to match up with every single law society, uh, but we are certainly aware, well, we try to be as aware of the deadlines as we can, but the deadlines are changing and the pandemic has changed deadlines as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so sometimes somebody will say there's a deadline on whatever date. And then we, when we look at that, we're taking it back. Then we would contact the law society and say, is there a deadline? You know, let's, let's talk about this so we can, we can make sure that we know um, what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um... I had another question just briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, when somebody applies for assessment and they receive their assessment results, there is a five-year term on that, right? Like the, the, the candidate needs to complete their exams within five years or reapply. Is that correct? There's a five-year term. Mm-hmm. There is an option to ask for an extension. Right. Okay. Um, and I make those decisions. Um, and those decisions are based on where are you in the process? Mm-hmm. Um, have you been attempting exams or you've done nothing? Right. Have, do you have, um, have you successfully completed some of the subjects? Are you currently at a Canadian law school completing the subjects? Mm-hmm. Do you have many outstanding failures? Um, and then have there been major policy changes uh, in, the, in the intervening timeframe? Right. Okay. That makes sense because there's. I think the the person who uh, who raised the question to me. I think I I didn't ask. You know, I just sort of said thank you for the question. But I I gather that with some delays in receiving results and not being sure if they need to do a retake or something. I think some people may be running up to that five year sort of deadline. So the the solution for people who are or who are worried that they're not quite going to make it within the five year window. 
they're, they should be emailing the NCA to explain their situation, right? That's right. That's right. And they can just simply ask for an extension and maybe provide a paragraph as to why. I, I empowered all of my staff, every single team member, um, when the pandemic started, to automatically provide extensions to January 2021. Um, and so some people said, oh, you, I only got an extension for two months. Yes, but it wasn't because I was taking the decision. It was it, I had empowered everyone, and I needed to put limits on that. Mm. Um, and that allowed everybody to register for all of the exams in the fall. Right. Okay. And um, another quick one, I think I, I kind of think I know the answer to this, obviously, but so the examiners or, or the people who are designing the syllabi for the various modules that exist within the NCA, um, they change, right? And we just experienced a couple of changes, one rather significant one, um, maybe a month ago, or maybe just a little bit less than a month ago. I was wondering if you could go into what get into, sorry, what goes into um, changing of a syllabi to do the, the people sort of who are in charge of making sure the syllabus is um, accurate or representative of current legislation in Canada, do they liaise with you or do they sort of have the freedom and flexibility to do sort of as they please, <laughs> for lack of a better phrase? So the guidance that, um, that, that I give them is that the subjects that we up some the five canadian plus contracts towards and property are um reflective of what a typical first year sometimes second year depending on the school um mm -hmm. course would be um and then and that if someone gets 50 percent on the exam based on that syllabus the examiner is confident that they're prepared to enter bar admissions in canada mm -hmm. um that we have as i said we have uh, two, three, now four people working on all of those Canadian subjects, contracts, torts, and property. And um, we ask them kind of on an annual basis, take a look at your syllabus. Is there anything that needs to be updated? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it would be pretty obvious that admin had a major rewrite mm -hmm. um, because of, of Supreme Court decisions. So new legislation, there were major divorce um, rule changes on July 1st. So family had a major rewrite. So that's kind of what's happening. And the people who are our examiners, are experts in these fields. Yeah. And so they are teaching them at law school. They are, um, there's a couple of practitioners, but not uh, most of them are, are professors. Um, but they are experts in their field and they are staying on top of their field. Now, we, well, sometimes you'll see that there'll be two syllabi up for a single subject and we'll say, this is for the May exams and the next one is for the August. You know, just because we don't want to, um, we don't want to put up a, a change syllabus too late, mm. too close to an exam date. So when there's a change, it'll say in effect for January, 2021. Um, so so that's the way that we have approached that. I think, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. I just, it's just sort of one of those things that, you know, there's an announcement made that the syllabus has changed. And I just thought it might, you know, for my own intellectual curiosity, wonder what, what kind of goes into that. And and how the inner workings of that all go. So interesting anyway, for me, <laughs> um, I'm kind of bouncing around. I have only a couple more questions, Deborah, and then I'll make sure that, you know, if there's anything that we haven't covered that you would like to sort of say or mention that we can get into it. So one of them, another pretty, I think basic question is that there was somebody who was asking um, what the reason is behind the policy that somebody cannot retake, let's say if I failed foundations of Canadian law, why can't I take that exam in the next session? Why do I have to sort of skip that one and take it in a different session? 
Yeah, so this is a this has been a topic of concern for quite a while. And there's, um, I mean, originally it was, it, if we go back to when I took over the NCA, they were only two exam sessions a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I took over, in, as I said, in, for July 1st. And I immediately said, okay, we've got August coming up and we're going to run October. And I hired an exam manager. And I said, your role is not only to learn your job, but also to run another exam session in October. Mm-hmm. And then we transitioned the following year to four exam sessions. And so there were some limitations around our capabilities of, of offering that. Um, people were saying, hey, you know what? I'm, I think I might have failed when I wrote it in January. I want to register for May. Well, if we did that in the old days, we would have to we would have to have printed a, an exam for you, um, uh, booked a seat for you, which mm-hmm. could mean more space. So there were a lot of expenses. Right. Um, th- we're in an environment now where that may be changing. Um, however, if you have an outstanding exam on your in your system, let's let's say you wrote. Let's say you wrote uh, constitutional law in August. Mm-hmm. You're about to get your exam results, and you know constitutional is in January. As soon as those exam results are released, and if you passed, yay, congratulations. Mm-hmm. If you failed, you can immediately register for, for, for January. Mm-hmm. There's no waiting. The issue is that when you don't have an exam result, we can't let you register. Now, we're, we're talking about whether we can make us – we can – revise our database to allow that um, but we also have to understand the impact that would have on all other parts of the system because we could be in an environment where you write an exam in january you think you didn't do well uh you know maybe maybe 400 people wrote it and maybe 200 people think they didn't do well so 200 people register um but then of those 200 maybe only 50 of them failed and so 150 people all of a sudden are pulling out of the system but right. we've prepared for you know, so so there's that type of thing that it, the the administrative side of it, and mm-hmm. and so I'm I'm kind of grappling with the how much how how can we make it happen so that people have sufficient freedom to be able to um, to register. Mm. So for the time being, if you have an exam result and it's a fail, you can register for the next time it opens. Right. Well, there you go. <laughs> That's there's the answer. I hope uh, to that question. Um, and I guess for me, for for the the rest of my questions, I, it was interesting when I sort of publicized the uh, the idea that I was going to be speaking with you today. Um, there were quite a few people who approached me privately, and they've asked me to ask you if you have an opinion on the. Increase. I don't know if you've even noticed, but there is an increase in private tutoring for NCA exams. And there's some particular concerns that some of these private tutors may not be quite as accomplished or knowledgeable as they claim to be. And thus people are, you know, they say being taken advantage of. Um, I'm, I mean, I suppose I'm curious too, what, what the NCA's stance is on the private tutoring business. I, I think I've noticed you know, I mean, full disclosure, I'm developing um, a program with the Toronto School of Management. Um, but I've noticed in now that I'm sort of in this space in some way, that there are a lot of people who are offering services. And um, I just wonder, I suppose, what what your stance is on that. I assume it's a buyer beware mar- market. Um, but I, I guess just maybe a couple of your thoughts on it. 
Yeah, I mean, I was going to use that exact phrase. And, and, and thanks, Anton, for yeah. one, for raising this, because I, I was not aware. I mean, I've been looking at this from a couple of different directions, but I wasn't aware of the feedback. Um, and, and you had sent me a little bit of feedback on this um, mm. about what people are, are experiencing. Mm. I, for years in my presentations to various groups, I have said, buyer beware. If you are going to buy notes, make sure you're buying them from, from a reliable source. I mean, I would never encourage people to buy notes, but uh, you know, people talk about, I bought notes and they were for an old syllabus or I bought notes and they were crap. Well, you know, we don't get involved in that. Right. And so it's very much a buyer beware, but the, you know, the growth of tutors in one sense, I say, this is great because we don't provide that service and somebody needs to, Mm -hmm. but if there are people out there using our name, and providing bad service, then maybe that is something that we need to start getting involved in. Um, I think people are aware that you have three attempts an exam. If you fail the three times, you need to request a fourth attempt and provide a remediation plan or a learning mm-hmm. plan. Mm-hmm. And that plan will typically include hiring an, a, a tutor. And um, at first I was thinking, do I need to approve this tutor? Is this a process I need to do? And then after discussion, we decided that no, I mean, Everybody there. Are, everybody is intelligent, educated. They are making their decisions as to who they believe the best person to hire, and that we wouldn't um, we wouldn't micromanage that. Mm. Um, I'm now hearing that maybe there is some micromanagement needed. Um, I don't know. I'm still very much on a, a listening process. Right. Yeah. No. I mean that makes sense. I think it's it's really it's been really interesting for me. I mean there are some. Some who have been in this space for a long time, you know, and they've they've developed quite a great a good reputation, and that's great. I mean, I agree with you that that for people who need a little bit of assistance and guidance, it's it's a great service to offer. But I just can't believe, you know, Deborah. I must be honest. Like, it's there was one person. I, I'll just give you an anecdote. <laughs> one person on Facebook maybe a month ago who was saying, "Hey, uh, I might." be writing, I don't know, foundations. And um, I'm just wondering, where can I go for help? And literally six different personal tutors responded <laughs> to that per- to that question. So, I mean, it was just an indicator to me that there's so many um, that are now coming out. And, and like, like you say, if they're good, then great, you know, more, more choice. Um, but I guess part of the reason I asked the question was because some people are saying, you know, there, there's like this, these false marketing strategies where people are sort of putting up um, questionable testimonials, things like that, that, that people kind of get rubbed the wrong way by. So it's just an interesting area to look at. And, and it'll be interesting to, to monitor, I guess, moving forward. Yeah, it's, I think it's a challenge. It's like those of us who want to go and buy a mask. Yeah. Well, you look on Facebook and there's so many vendors. Well, yeah. how do you know they're good? How do you know the mask is any good? How do you know that you're actually going to get something? Mm. You know, these are really good questions. How do you, as a, as a, as a, as a consumer, how do you make these decisions and make the correct decision? Mm. Um, yeah. So it's, it's uh, at the current time, um, you know, we welcome the third parties in the in this environment. We are not providing tutoring. We do not provide that service. Mm-hmm. And so it's good that there are others who do so. My expectation is that they're doing so well and that they're doing a good job. Mm. Yeah, well, that's a, I think that's right. That's that's the way it should be. And I think for the most part, that's exactly what's happening. You know, there are, there are really great mentors and tutors out there. So 
Um, I suppose on my end, Deborah, that kind of um, wraps me up. But I'm wondering if if we hadn't touched on something that maybe you wanted to touch on, or if we hadn't covered something. Uh, I think I think there is one thing that I would like to talk about. Um, mm -hmm. I know that that this time is a highly charged emotional time. I know that the NCA process is a high stakes process. And if you don't get through our process, you can't go on to the next step and you can't become a lawyer in Canada if you have your 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 legal education from outside of Canada. Um, we've seen a, an increase of um, um, aggressive emails, um, phone calls that are very difficult. We're not accepting phone calls at this time because we do record our phone calls for um, training and quality assurance and, and the record keeping. And if I've got people taking phone calls from their homes, I'm just not going to record their home phone it's just not going to happen yeah um so we've we at this point are not are not having phone conversations uh, a written record is better anyway but mm. i would just i would just ask people to um to think twice before they send an email that may be a little bit aggressive and and um from our side we do everything that we can to respond professionally um and i the, i i talk to my team and i say we are dealing with ncas as future lawyers, future Canadian lawyers, mm -hmm. let's give them respect. Um, that that sometimes doesn't always happen. Sometimes the answer may be a little shorter than it should be because of how busy people are. Um, the answer may take a little longer than we would like um, due to workload. But I think that um, I would like to remind people that um, that that type of that aggressive emails um, are inappropriate in a in a, an environment where you are discussing issues around your file. Um, and unfortunately, there have been some that have been um, absolutely inappropriate. Not everybody, I, it's very much the minority, but when it happens, um, it has been uh, upsetting for the people who have been on the receiving end. Right, of course, yeah. And I mean, I, of course, I, I echo that. I think that's, like you said, if you're, if you're treating um, individuals and candidates, the NCA candidates as future Canadian lawyers, and you know, you, you should treat them with respect. And I think the, the opposite of that is true too. I mean, the NCA is an accreditation body, um, you know, with, within the, the Federation of Law Societies. So it only makes sense to try to act as professional as you possibly can, even though there would be some issue, you know, everybody's, you know, the pandemic world, maybe people lose jobs or, or there's all kinds of reasons as to why somebody would be upset. Um, but let's, I, I suppose I'll echo you and just say, let's try to keep the correspondence with the NCA professional that's, that's... And, and and people can be upset and there and there's a lot of justification for being upset there's no question about it mm. um but but there's a difference between saying i know it's i know that it's really busy and you're having a tough time right now but this is what's going on in my file and i need your help and um you know this is my second email i haven't heard anything from you you know like there's there's a way to present it um, and, and we know we're not happy with the fact that we're not answering emails as quickly as we like, as we would like. Um, and so removing the emotion, we try to do that. Um, and I would hope that others would try that too. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I hope people hear this and I hope, um, it helps, you know, moving forward that there's less, less of those distressing back and forth. Um, Deborah, I, I want to thank you again for taking so much of your time to, to be on the sort of podcast episode 2.0 with uh, with the nca it's it's really a, a pleasure of mine to be able to interview you and to ask questions and to learn more about the process and what goes into some of the decisions you make so thank you so much and i know the listeners really appreciate it as well 
Well, thanks very much for uh, for having me back on. And um, I hope that we can do this on a regular basis when there are other things to talk about. And I really appreciate you gathering questions from, um, from people and, and bringing them to me. Sometimes we don't see those types of discussions. Well, obviously we're not in the Facebook groups, but um, you know, the fact that, uh, that you're able to bring the questions is really helpful. So thank Great. you. Great, thanks Deborah. does it for episode 19 of a shot of life i'd like to thank deborah again for taking some time out of her busy schedule to sit down with me and and have a, a good long chat about the changes to the nca schedule and to answer some of your questions and and i'm really encouraged to know that this is going to be a bit of a regular thing going forward so thank you deborah and i uh, hope everybody enjoyed it at the end of the podcast she was making mention of you know maybe being a little bit more professional for the very small minority of people who are a bit aggressive in communicating with the NCA. I think it's important just to remember that, you know, everybody's human here. There's, although they are part of the NCA, they're human beings too. So I think it's worth reiterating just to, to remind ourselves of that if we're getting frustrated and, and hopefully that these podcast interviews can lend to having you understand a little bit more about why exactly the delays exist and what the NCA is doing in order to try to fix them moving forward. And until next time, we'll talk again. Mm-hmm.